0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of As Some of You Once Were, with me, Trevor Brierly pastor of Round Oak Baptist Church in Corbin, Virginia. Now today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to look back at the last couple chapters, because we last week finished up chapter two in the Book of Romans. So now we're going to look at some maybe commonly asked questions, some questions that I have been asked uh, in a kind of have a general overview of what we've been looking at over the last handful of weeks as we look through both chapters 1 and 2. Because again, I think that it's good to study through it and it's good to look back every once in a while as well. To look at what we've read, what we've studied, to kind of see what we've been through and to make sure we're not forgetting certain things, to make sure we're not looking past what we've looked over. And looking too much ahead to what comes next. But living for where we're at in the moment. Understanding that there is a past, there is a future, and there's also a present. And if we take too much of a separation idea to this, forgetting again what we've looked at, looking more to what comes next, I think we've missed a point. I think we get to the concept of forgetting where we've been. And that can be a dangerous thing in a lot of different aspects. So again, I want to look at just a few different things here as we look over all the different stuff we've talked about. And again, having a few of these questions, but we're going to look over it again. And again, going forward at the end of each chapter, we're going to be continuing having a questions and recap session at the end of, again, each chapter. If you have questions or anything you'd like to talk about pertaining to uh, Romans, hopefully the chapter that we're on. Please email me, let me know. Again, my email is Pastor Trevor at roundoakchurch.com. So, again, one of the first questions that we have here that it pertains to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says this For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And it was asked, what does it mean to suppress the truth and unrighteousness? And again, we, we briefly went over this um, before, but again, I think it's something good to really further elaborate on. Because again, it, it's important. And we see these things all around us all the time, every day. One of the things we have to think about is this, is that there are three aspects about God. Three aspects about God that are evident to everyone, through what he has made. He has made himself evident through the creation that we simply see with our own eyes each and every single day. Those are his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. Because he has allowed himself to be known in those ways, no one has an excuse for their unrighteousness. So we have to start there. We don't have an excuse we are all accountable. Every single person is accountable to God for the things that they have done. So we have to start there. Even though everyone has an awareness of God, those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness refuse to acknowledge God or give him thanks. We push back against things. We watch television shows. We listen to podcasts. We listen to speakers. We go to schools and universities, hospitals. It doesn't matter where you're at. Some churches, even, are guilty of suppressing the truth. And we suppress the truth because we want what we want, because our hearts are sinful. There, Our hearts are hard When something tries to penetrate our heart, when something tries to soften that heart, we will do one of two things. We will either start to acknowledge that what we are doing is sinful, what we are doing is wrong, and that I am in fact a sinner, or we will go the other way and we will push back all the more. And when we start to push back, the first thing we do is justify our sins. Why we think we want certain things. And then the next thing that we do is we suppress the truth by saying, no, that's not really what God said. Or, there is no God, period. Then we suppress the truth by coming up with all different conjectures, saying that it is merely the physical world created itself. Through science or evolution or or many other ways that we try to suppress the truth. It's a slippery slope nonetheless, to go down. Because we see that God has made all these things. His fingerprints are everywhere. And to say, no, that didn't happen. Not only are we suppressing the truth, but any who follow us, we are leading them astray. Creating for ourselves as being a false teacher. Or even, some might say, a false prophet. We do different things all the time, simply to say, we are better, and we know God. So, essentially, we look at it, what does it mean to suppress the truth in unrighteousness? Is to say that God is wrong, and that I am right. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the question, it is simply saying that I am smarter, and I am better than God. You should listen to me over him. And again, when you say it out loud, we hear all these different things that people like to talk to. But when we say it out loud for ourselves, we start to see how ridiculous these things sound. And that's why we don't like to say them out loud. We'll think them. That way we can, again, further justify our sin and, again, suppress the truth. And, again, always remember, as we look at different questions, as we think about different things, the most important thing to realize is that if we take a wrong turn, the slope is very, very slippery. Another question here we'll look at real quickly is, how are God's invisible attributes clearly seen in creation? How can we see these things? And what are these, these things? And that's a good question. Because, again, many people can get slipped up in this because they're thinking in, in the wrong way. But again, as we look at this, what are those invisible attributes that are so clearly seen? There are many places in Scripture we're told to look at creation to learn about God. In Job chapter 12, it says that we, we're told that the birds, the beast, the earth itself, and the fish of the sea can teach us about God, and that he made them all. In his very hands is the life of every living thing. The heavens themselves declare the glory of God, from Psalm 19. Each passing day and night reveals knowledge, Psalm 19.2. As the creator of all things, God has intimate knowledge of his creation, Isaiah 40.12. And he himself has revealed himself in his creation from the founding, the foundation of the earth, from the very beginning, Isaiah 40. Isaiah exhorts us to look to the heavens, to see God's handiwork. The heavens' very existence is a proclamation of God's invisible attributes. It's a proclamation of His eternal power, His divine nature. The Bible draws a connection between God's creation and God's sovereign control. God created all of it. Everything that we see, down to the very last Adam. He knows it all and he is in control of it all. But God's creation reveals much about God. His powers, his attributes, his divine nature are clearly seen and understood in creation. And that's something that we have to always understand, because we gain knowledge of who he is by examining his creation. We observe over a hundred billion, yes, billion with the B galaxies. We see the glory and the might of God by looking up at the stars, looking at the sky, the clouds, creation order itself. When we study the intric- the intricacies of a living cell, which we have trillions of in our bodies, we see the intelligence and the skill of God. When we consider the 60,000 miles of blood vessels strategically placed in our human bodies, we see the wisdom and the forethought of God. We have so many numbers, mathematical probabilities that are out there, the constants and quantities of our universe that are literally setting on a razor's edge. That if some of these numbers, these probabilities, these concepts were off by even the slightest amount, life would cease to exist. And not only would life cease to exist, but if these weren't in place from the very beginning, when God created the universe, then it would have never had life to begin with. The attributes, the intelligence... The authority, all of it, of God, is seen very clearly when we want to. But we, again, back to the first question, we use these things, we look at these things, and what do we do? We suppress the truth. God is clearly seen. His fingerprints are all over everything that we see, everything that we touch, everything that we know. It has God's fingerprints, His handiwork made all over it. But we turn away and we get rid of what we know to be true. We suppress truth so that we don't have to answer to a holy and a righteous God. Again, as we look at this, just how those two questions, they, they, they connect, they intertwine. Because we suppress the truth so we don't have to see God's invisible qualities We see that all the scriptures like that, that it all works together. It all forms one function that points directly to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can know him through his word because his invisible qualities. We are without excuse because we see these things. It's not saying that you can be saved by natural revelation. You can't be saved by merely thinking that there is a God. But that's the first step. We must know that there is a God and first off, We are not Him. That's the first step. Natural revelation never saved anybody, but it points us to something more. If we seek after who God really is, He will reveal Himself to us. Whether by some missionary, by other people in some general fashion, through His Word, to tell us what the truth is, to reveal to us the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem is, we see his attributes so clearly, and we assign them to somebody or something else. And again, that becomes a very slippery slope. And assigning those attributes to a different lowercase g, God, is just another form of suppressing truth. And again, we can clearly see that it it, it all intertwines together. Because God's word is absolutely stunningly amazing. We could never do it our own. There's no way that this book was written. in the congruence that it has between 66 books over a span of 1,600-some years that no human person could have possibly done this and have it all flow so immaculately. The next question we have here, too, is when we get a lot... If you're a follower of Christ, you've heard either this question in specific or something very close to it. Doesn't Romans chapter 2 verse 1 say not to judge? Romans chapter 2 says, verse 1 says this, Therefore every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. The, The biggest problem there, realistically, is that when people think in this kind of way. They, they fall short. In so many different ways. So many questions could literally be answered. If only they would keep reading. And that's a big issue. And that's something that we should always strive to do. Is to keep things in context. Because people like to pick and choose verses. People like to claim that, oh, this verse says this, or this verse says that. And, it, and it's easy to do because they're, they're numbered. They're chaptered and they're numbered by the verse. But one thing real quickly I want to point out, because I think it's important when we talk about keeping things in context, is that for whatever reason, most people don't realize that the chapter and verse numbers weren't always there. There was a time when it was just the words. We didn't have chapter and verse numbers as, as we know them today, anyway. We didn't have very much of a separation at all until, I don't know, roughly the 1200s. When we started to separate things into chapter division. The Whitecliff English Bible in eight, or 1382 was the first Bible to use this pattern. And then it didn't happen again with the the numbered verses until 1555. When a man named Robert Esteen translated it and separated them into different verses. So starting then, we had to look back 500 plus years ago, or 500 roughly years ago. We have, when this happened, when it was separated, and now people can look at it and take one sentence or one verse and elevate it out of context to get what they want. Again, that's a little bit of a backstory real quick because we have to le- We're going to keep looking at this though, but always have to remember that because it says this again. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. Okay. Got it. For when you judge one another, you condemn yourself. Okay. But the problem, they stopped reading there. It wasn't even at the end of the verse. It says since you the judge do the same thing we know that god's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet does the same that you will escape god's judgment again that's simply answered by continuing reading like all so many of the other questions that you will get or that I will get. We see that if we can learn to keep things in context, it really helps. Not all the time, but most of the time, it will answer these questions. We are to judge. We are to be fruit inspectors, so to speak. To look at something and to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and not out of hate, not out of contempt, but out of love, approach them and say, hey, you are dealing with this sin or you are in the sin let me help you let me help you get out of it let me be there for you and they should understand that we are doing that out of love when we do that we should be judging their actions because we should all want to be Christ like and as we do that we should also expect it in return when i am out of step i should have my brothers and sisters in Christ come up beside me and help me to get me back on the path so that we won't have to face further judgment. And again, we see all these things, and it's quite easy, it's quite easy to understand. But again, we try to justify the things that we do. And I find it more easy to appease others to cheer them on in their sin because then they they like me more. We're doing nobody any favors. That's not love. That's just pushing the can down the road until they die. And that's us loving them all the way to hell, which gets nobody anywhere. It does no good for anyone, period. And again, as we work backwards, we can always kind of come back to this. That's also suppressing the truth if we're not willing to stand up and to tell the truth to those that we claim that we love, we, in all reality, can never say that we actually love or care about them. Because we're withholding truth from them. And telling them lies. And it is as simple as that. People don't like to hear that. Because that's hard. It's hard to tell people the truth. Yet that's what, as followers of Christ, we are called to do. But again, as we look at that, does that verse say that? Not even close. But again, as we look at this, as we kind of take the whole of these few chapters, it doesn't start off great. I think that's obviously by design. It's on purpose. But far too many people, we don't want to read the quote-unquote negative parts. We want the happy stuff. We want the, the joyful, the fuzzy caterpillar kind of things. But that's not always the case. There will be trials. It will be hard. We are sinful people who have sinned against the holy God. And if we don't see that, if we don't understand, come to the realization that we are sinful people who have sinned against the God of the universe, then we will never want his son. We won't understand how amazing his grace is, what he done on the cross for us, if we don't understand the depth and the grievousness of our own sin. It's hard to understand that sometimes because none of us want to think that negatively about us, but we about ourselves, but we have to get to that point because that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible is up front. It's in your face. It tells us that we are sinners. And to disagree with that, again, is not only suppressing the truth, but telling God that he's wrong. And that's... A hard thing to come to grips with for some people. And that is one of the reasons why we have so many different denominations within Christianity. Is because we all want different things. We all think different things. We will interpret the Bible differently. But some of us take it so far to where we don't even agree on the main and the plain. We simply want the things that we want. And again, that is a very slippery slope, a slippery slope that goes all the way to the pits of hell. Because without Jesus Christ, without God, who has revealed himself to us, without his death on the cross and his blood that covers our sins, we could never stand before a holy and righteous God. And we will pay for our sins. 100% 100% ourselves and that equates to eternal separation from the love, the grace and the mercy of our Lord and our savior Jesus Christ. But those are the three questions that we will look at today and a not much of one but a little bit of a quick recap looking at the full concepts of verse or chapters 1 and 2. If you missed any of these Please go back and read it and catch up. Next week we will start on chapter 3. But until next time, may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do as you seek after Him each and every day.